Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'd like you to learn more about the ministry that we're performing to make Christ known among the nations. To do that, go to traincpe.org and to discover more about our fellowship here in Boise, let me encourage you to go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God in saving us by faith. And then in verse 18, the very next verse, he tells us that the same gospel reveals to us the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The constant, consistent antagonism of God against sin. That's what wrath is, we are told, is revealed to us in this same gospel. And the question we ask today and try to answer is, how? How is the wrath of God being revealed to us today? One of the ways we could say it is, well, the wrath of God is revealed. If you read the history of the Bible, you'll see multiple occasions in which God brings judgment upon different individuals and judgment upon different nations. And there are examples of the wrath of God being revealed. You don't have to just read your Bible that way. You can read through human history and see there are times in which wicked nations and people have been put down and God has worked upon it to bring destruction upon them. And so we'd say, okay, here are expressions where God is dealing with sin and God is dealing with the sin of individuals and the sin of nations and pouring out his wrath. And so and on and on went these expressions of God's judgment throughout history coming upon different individuals. The interesting thing here is that this happens periodically in history, but only periodically. And it happens to some individuals, but to our eyes, it only happens to some individuals. If you study history instead, what you would actually see is that a lot of people and a lot of nations get away with a lot of bad things. And begin to think, wow, people begin to think, we can put things over on God. We can get away with whatever we want to get away with. And they do. There's far less justice applied than we might want to see applied to the things that sinful men do. In fact, Paul actually spoke about this, the history of the human race where we can see expressions and revelations of God's wrath and judgment against sin periodically, but Paul gives a basically overview of what we are seeing and what's taking place in human history. In Acts chapter 17, he's speaking to the philosophers in Athens, and he tells them that the way that God has primarily dealt with the sin of the human race up to this point in time is that Paul says he has, quote, overlooked it. He seems to be passing it by. Then Paul says, But now is the time to repent because God has appointed a day of judgment and he's appointed one who is going to judge. Actually, go to Acts chapter 17. Let me read to you verses 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 17. Paul speaks of this climatic day of God's wrath of God's judgment. This is the day in which that wrath that individuals are storing up is the day of wrath that they will finally come to. Truly, these times of ignorance, God has overlooked, he says. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so God deals in wrath and judgment of sin throughout human history and yet finally God will fill in all the gaps and deal with sin at a final judgment. I just have come from three weeks on the Oregon coast. You know, enjoying the Oregon coast is not a time in which you want to spend thinking about wrath. 
you know, on your vacation. You, think, you know what, I, I know when I get back, the next verse is on the wrath of God. Let's, let's meditate on that for the next three weeks. But, but the thought did come to us. As you go and you look at the beautiful sunset that's setting over the beach and the people frolicking in the sand, that, that they should not think because they're enjoying the sunset and they're enjoying these beautiful views that they can continue to live in defiance and in sin against God and that God is not going to hold them into account. The goodness of God is calling men to repentance. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 2. The very next verse says, men who do not respond to that goodness are restoring up for themselves wrath against the day of wrath. All of those pleasures, all those benefits, all these wonderful expressions of God's creation around us, all goodness poured out upon us, all not turning to him, all storing up wrath against us. Donald Gray Barnhouse spent, I think, seven years preaching on the book of Romans, something like that. I have the first volume. I don't have the whole volume of all his sermons, but I have the first volume, and he comes upon this passage, and he tells a story. You'll tell that this was written probably in the 40s when he gave this illustration, but he tells the story of a little church out in the country, out in farming country, and that they would meet on Sundays for their worship but uh, in this farming community. But there was a farmer that was rather defiant of the Christian way of doing things. And, and he had actually had a number of fields that he was farming in and, and tending to. But he made sure that he tended on one field only on Sunday during the hour in which the church was worshiping. And so he would plow that field on that hour and the people would be worshiping. And they'd hear the tractor coming from the far end of the fields that came near to the church. And it would pivot around by the church and it would pull away and they'd hear it pulling away. And then they'd hear it coming back and all through the time of worship, here to that farmer plowing his field. And then, you know, later on he'd come back and do other agricultural services of that field. And this went on all through that season as he worked on that field. He would pull that tractor around them and he would plow and he would disc and then he would harrow and then he would drag and then he'd fertilize and he would cultivate that field every Sunday during the hour of worship in that church. Finally, at the end of the season, he came and he cut his crop and he stacked and he husked his corn and he carried it to the crib. And when he was all done, he wrote a letter to the editor of a weekly that was published in that area in which he explained to them that that one field that he had cared for all during that time was the field that gave the highest yield of all the fields that he worked in. So how, he said, could you say God is a God who judges? How do you Christians respond when you say God is a God who judges? When I've been so successful cultivating that field on the day and hour in which you're worshiping. And so the, the publisher put that letter in the newspaper as it was and just made one little response at the end of the letter. And the editor's response was simply this, quote, God does not settle his accounts in the month of October, end quote. <laughs> there will be a final day of God's wrath. There will be a settling of all accounts against all unrepented and uncovered sin. That's what we're learning here. The wrath of God is also revealed in our conscience. If you go on and we'll read the next couple chapters that Paul will write here, he, he shows us something of the course of the wrath of God. And one of the things he points out is that we see the wrath of God exposed in our lives through our own conscience. It's kind of an interesting to note that the enlightened man who dismisses superstition and the idea of God's wrath and rejects the idea of God's judgment is also the person who he should, if he really believed that, smile dismissively when we tell him about hell, but he bristles against it. He doesn't like it at all. He rejects it. He becomes quite angry, and the reason he's angry is because it's not a new idea to him. It's not a new concept to him. You're not the first one who suggested it. His own conscience has suggested that to him. 
He has his own fear and his own knowledge and he's fighting against it and repressing it and he doesn't like you when you aid his conscience in saying those types of things and he becomes quite angry at these things. Men love the idea of justice but they don't like the idea of judgment. Justice they think somehow will work for them. Judgment they question whether it will. Judgment means being found out and they're fearful of being found out. Our consciences tells us you're going to be found out. God knows you're going to be found out. That's somewhat an expression of the wrath of God. Also, the wrath of God can be seen in the sections of Roman, the next couple chapters of Roman, and particularly in this last half of, of chapter 1. It can be seen in just God allowing the natural course of our moral defiance of God sweep through our lives and sweep through the life of a society and so that that society festers and lies and lusts and thirsts for pleasure and power and Eventually they go into rot and ruin and that's the portrait that's given for us in, in Romans chapter 1. And that can be an expression of God letting wrath, his wrath come upon us. He just lets the rot of sin come upon us in our land. But having said all that, I don't believe this is what's being referred to when we're told that the wrath of God is revealed. What we have to remember is Paul is speaking about the gospel that he's not ashamed of. It's the gospel that reveals the righteousness of God in verse 17 from faith to faith. And verse 18 is a parallel to verse 17. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. And here in verse 18 we have a parallel verse where it says that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what this passage is revealing to us and what we're seeing this is that the gospel reveals God's righteous way of saving the unrighteous but it also reveals God's righteous way, the gospel does, of judging sin. It reveals God's heart to save, and it also reveals the intensity of God's wrath against our sins. How? How? Well, the fullest expression of God's wrath against sin is revealed at the cross of God's Son. It's when Jesus Christ died, when he suffered, the justice that we deserve when he suffered in our place the judgment that God has set against our sins Jesus experienced and drew into himself as God his own divine wrath against our sins the gospel tells the story of God's salvation from God's own wrath that's what you're saved from you're saved from God's animosity his constant consistent animosity against your rebellion and your sin and you need to be rescued from that and that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you he took into himself wrath the wrath you deserve the Puritan Stephen Charnock wrote these words on the wrath of God not all the vials of judgment that have or shall be poured out upon the wicked world nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against rebellious devils, nor the groans of damned creatures give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose upon his son. The gospel reveals the wrath of God, that Jesus suffered and died for you. Every time that we go and we seek to wash ourselves and cleanse ourselves of our sins, every time we respond to God, you know, it's a wonderful truth about the Christian. 
The Christian has sin in themselves, but we're no longer in sin. When I believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, I was put into Christ. I was put into all his righteousness, but sin is still in me. And God comes and he judges the sin in me and he deals with it. And, and as I do, I cry out and I call for God's forgiveness and I receive the outflowing or the outpouring of what was provided for me at the cross of God's mercy and God's grace and forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ washing me and cleansing me and making me right before God. And I'm so thankful for that. I live in that every single day of my life because sin is in me, but I'm not in sin. I'm not in sin. Now here's the sad thing. For the person who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, sin is in them, but they're also in sin. And the day is coming. For me, God judges the sin that's in me. He convicts me and reveals my sin and I confess it and he washes and cleanses me. God judges in the believer the sin that is in them. But for the unbeliever, he judges the man in his sin. He judges the man in his sin and wrath and judgment comes upon them. There's only one answer for you. Get in Christ. Get in him. Get in the one who in your place has bore all that wrath for you and suffered in your place and opened for you in that place constant stream of forgiveness and cleansing and life a constant place in which God the righteous God may righteously save you may justly forgive you live under that fount live under that grace I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.